The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast. We are your hosts, Shelby and Kevin Stanfield, and we are here with you today. What would usually be episode 135, we are doing a special episode. We're doing something fun today, and we're doing this because it's the 4th of July weekend. Today is July 3rd, but tomorrow is July 4th, and we had a special opportunity and extra time, and Kevin felt inspired to kind of talk about the 4th of July and the Book of Mormon all in one. So we're excited to talk about our freedoms and and the Book of Mormon and how it all came to be. So Kevin, any final thoughts before we jump in? Part of the vision for this episode was also to put it there at the very beginning of our podcast feed. And so those of you who are just just now finding us will be listening to this episode because it's going to cover the introduction and title page of the Book of Mormon. And we already did that almost three years ago, but this one we want we wanted to kind of rehash it. We wanted to do this and and put it there as our as our keystone episode. Well, you know, and we've been podcasting for three years now, so we a little bit more experience here. And definitely. <laughs> we've fine-tuned our, our talking, which definitely more to come as we podcast, but we're excited that you're here and you're listening. And so let's go ahead and just dive on into what the Book of Mormon is. But first, let's start with our freedoms, right? Is that where we want to begin? Yeah. So... Or the history, I should say that. Right. So, you know, something that we talk about as members of the church quite often is that the Book of Mormon being a lost set of scripture and then translated by the gift and power of God uh, by the prophet Joseph Smith. And then also just the emergence of our, of our faith and the establishment of our church. It was timely um, early in the 1800s because if it had if if the lord had tried to restore uh, the church and not that the lord can't do anything but of course he has to work within um the certain timing you know it's all it's all his timing and so if the church had tried uh, to be restored in an earlier century it probably would have ended uh, much di- much differently. Uh, there wouldn't have been the same freedoms which existed in America uh, at that time. So I actually wanted to look at this that, that we found in the Institute class manual for the Foundations of the Restoration. And it talks about this, this issue of religious freedom the lack thereof in previous centuries and the 
the opportunity to access that religious freedom and access to the scriptures which existed at the time when the church was restored. So I'm just going to read from it because it, it says it perfectly. After centuries of apostasy, during which very few people had access to the scriptures, inspired men and women did what they could, often at their own peril, to help others seek truth. In the 1500s, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon many different reformers, including Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many others, who began to speak out against the errors of the predominant churches of their day. Uh, William Tyndale and others also made new translations of the Bible. Many of these reformers paid for their actions with their lives. Their efforts led to the organization of new Protestant churches because Europe lacked religious freedom the creation of these new churches led to significant conflicts. Religious feeling guided founders of a new nation on the American continent. Under God's hand, they secured religious freedom for every citizen with an inspired bill of rights. 14 years later, on December 23rd, 1805, the prophet Joseph Smith was born. The preparation was nearing its completion for the restoration. Super cool. Yeah. When Kevin found this, as we were preparing for this episode, I loved everything that was said in here. It says it perfectly. We don't really need to repeat much of it. And the fact of the matter that I get from reading this was that America was going to be a land under God's hand where the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ could come to light. Now, we may not have seen that in the moment, which is really cool to look at where we are now in July 3rd of 2022 and see how Heavenly Father's hand guided all of this to become what it is. And um, there's a quote from Elder Hills, and he says, I testify that Jesus Christ's hand has been over the work of the restoration from before the foundation of this world. So when Kevin came and told me what he wanted to do with this episode, and he shared kind of his thoughts, I immediately thought of The Saints, the book, The Saints. <laughs> and it's recently came out in the last few years in the church. And something that I found very interesting, which y'all may not know, but I will share with you now, is that in 1815, there was an Indonesian island. Um, and basically, there was a volcano called Tambora is what they call this volcano. And on April 5th of this year in 1815, um, it decided to start kind of coughing up some ash and fire. And eventually it did uh, explode. Like, what's Is that what it's called? Yeah. Erupt. <laughs> erupt. Thank you. Um, it did erupt. And it basically, the eruption of the volcano caused lots of things to happen obviously in that community, but it actually had rippling effects all over the world. And so this is the effect that it had on North America. And I kind of wanted to read it. Um, and keep in mind, Joseph Smith, before he lived in New York, he actually lived in Vermont with his family. And so it said the eruption of Tambora affected weather in North America through the following year. 
And then in Vermont, in the northeast corner of the United States, Rocky Hills had frustrated a farmer named Joseph Smith Sr. for years. But that season, as he and his wife Lucy Mac Smith watched their crops shrivel under the relentless frost, they knew they faced financial ruin and an uncertain future if they stayed where they were. And this is because of the ash and everything kind of making its way over from this eruption. And so that is what caused Joseph Smith and his family to move up to New York because they knew the crops, they were, they, there was no way to sustain how they were living or anything of that sort. So they had to move. And so I thought that was so cool. Such a good piece of information on how the Lord's hand, as Elder Hill said, was over the restoration of the gospel because that made their family move up to New York, which we, which we now know today where the plates of brass were found which are the Book of Mormon. Well, the golden plates. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Thank you. This is why, this is why we got Kevin here. <laughs> he always keeps me in check. <laughs> so with that being said, you know, we well, obviously, as we have already alluded to, the restoration couldn't have happened anywhere else in the world other than in America, mm-hmm. right? In the United States. But also, Joseph Smith, as a foreordained prophet of the restoration, he had to be in the right place at the right time to, uh, to, to bring forth the restoration as a, as an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And to so have I, the freedoms too. Well, right? yes, but um, he, he, he and those living in America, at that time, they were their freedoms were secured. But if he had been living in Vermont, he wasn't going to be near to the place where the Book of Mormon plates were buried, right? So, yeah. so the Lord had to continue, uh, you know, moving him toward where he needed to be. So that's where more of the divine design comes in, right? So. We already talked about Joseph Joseph Smith Sr. and how, you know, these these issues, you know, from the fallout from the Indonesian volcanic eruption caused them to move. I wanted to read this from Elder uh, M. Russell Ballard, and he talks about, he says, Joseph, Joseph Smith Sr., The prophet's father suffered financially. He went into business with a partner. The business partner took the money and lost it. They bought a farm that failed. They bought another one and that failed. Bought another one and that failed. Finally, uh, Smith Sr. moved to Palmyra. The hand of the Lord was at work moving the Smith family to where he needed them to be. Can I tie in? A quote from Elder Rasband right here instead. Yes. I know you're going to share it after, but I think it's very important to point it here. Right. Divine design was a talk that Elder Rasband gave. And I just want to second, I guess, Elder Ballard's words with his. Elder Rasband said, our lives are like a chessboard and the Lord moves us from one place to another. If we are responsive to spiritual promptings, looking back, we can see his hand in our lives. Mm. And I liked putting that in right there because you could see that finally the Smith family had to move 
and needed put was put where they needed to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I just had to insert that because it just went perfect because they were literally being moved <laughs> from Vermont to New York. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, I I remember, Shelby, when we were listening to By Divine Design by Elder Rasband, and he he said that, I thought, okay, and that's not that's not to say that the Lord is moving us around on a chessboard against our will. Because he puts in there, he says, if we are responsive to spiritual promptings, and then looking back, you see the hand of the Lord in your life. So all throughout the Book of Mormon and all throughout the Book of Mormon podcast <laughs> that we've that we've done, we talk about how the Lord, he even uses those who are not necessarily following the commandments that, that don't believe in Jesus Christ, he's really calling all the shots. Mm -hmm. And so he's using others, um, as, uh, as Isaiah says, the, the Assyrian uh, was used, you know, an infidel nation uh, used as the rod of his anger to humble the Israelites. So, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much more to it. So if I can finish another quote to finish up um, more about Joseph Smith and his family mm -hmm. from elder or not elder. Sorry, this is actually Brigham Young. Well, he probably was an elder, but we call him Brigham Young. And um, he said, the Lord had his eye upon Joseph Smith and upon his father and upon his father's father and upon their progenitors clear back to Abraham and from Abraham to the flood, from the flood to Enoch, and from Enoch to Adam. He was watch he has watched that family and that blood as it has circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man, Joseph Smith, was foreordained in eternity. Hmm. It's very powerful to know that just as and I feel very confident saying this, just as much as Heavenly Father's hand was guiding that family all the way to Joseph Smith to produce the restoration and restore his gospel. He's done the same thing with our families. Now we don't have the calling of being the prophet of the world. However, we do have a calling to be disciples of Christ and to share this gift, this knowledge of Jesus Christ with other people all over the world. And so there have been things in our lives that have led us to right where you're at right now, listening to this podcast. And if you come back and listen to this podcast years down the road, the same thing, the statement will still stand true. that Heavenly Father has led you to where you need to be right now to share his gospel and bring others unto the fold and gather Israel. So it's just really cool to know that just as Heavenly Father watched over Joseph Smith and his family, they do the exact same for you. Yeah. So, but I think that pretty much covers a lot of how Joseph Smith even got to New York and was able to receive the plates. Yeah. So pretty cool. <laughs> so now I, I think we wanted to talk about yeah. there at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, the title page of the Book of Mormon, the introduction and maybe even get into some of the three witnesses and eight witnesses 
But before we do, I just, as we were speaking, uh, I felt, I felt impressed to add this because we're, we're talking about our freedoms in America. And today around the world, not, not everywhere, even the places where the church is active and established, the religious freedom is not, um, is not complete, right? We, they don't have as much of the religious freedom as we enjoy. It's something that we as a Zion people need to be consciously uh, conscious about. And it's something that, you know, wherever you may live, you defend religious freedom for all people, um, not not just yourself. Uh, I remember, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but I remember Joseph Smith uh, saying, uh, there's a, a wonderful quote from him saying that he would, um, as soon as defend or die defending his religious freedom, he would also die to defend the religious freedom or the rights of a Presbyterian or a Methodist or Catholic, because the same um, the same attacks on his freedom or their freedom would also affect his religious freedom. So, you know, when we when we talk about this, we know that we in America have it pretty good, but it's something that we have to continue to to fight for. I love that. Thank you for sharing that insight. And that's one of the great themes of the Book of Mormon, too. Uh, religious freedom as well as liberty. And, you know, right now, at this time, we're, we're studying in Alma 46, the title of liberty. And so in a week from now, we're going to be sitting down to discuss that. So these things are on our mind lately, Shelby and I. But the title page of the Book of Mormon was written by Mormon himself. Mm -hmm. This is why we call it the Book of Mormon. Fun fact, because <laughs> Mormon abridged the plates. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. And what I think is also really cool is that the title page is, is really Mormon's testimony, right? And it was written, uh, again, this is, this is actually from the original record that was translated by Joseph Smith. And it wasn't uh, a composition of him or, uh, you know, meanwhile, the, the introduction that we're going to read in a minute, that is written more recently. But this is from the original record. And the fact that it talks about these things, you know, the to says written to the Lamanites who are a remnant of the house of Israel and also to Jew and Gentile written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation written up and sealed and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed. Uh, not only is he telling us, you know, how it came to be and who it's for, but he also uh, talks about it, uh, it as a, a record which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord has done for their fathers 
and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever, and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. And it's just, there, there's so much more in there too, but I think of the title page as Mormon's testimony, because I think we we get a lot of the other prophets throughout the Book of Mormon. We get their testimonies. Um, I don't know if Mormon ever had the opportunity to really just straight up like like Alma did and like Nephi did and Jacob and, and even Moroni. I don't think he ever had the chance to to sit down and write out his testimony, but he he did um, finally, and that was what was put there right at the uh, right at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. Something that I just want to point out in the the title page of the Book of Mormon is the very end where he says, And now if there are faults, bear the mistakes of men. Wherefore, condemn not the things of God, that you may be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. And I love that he puts that at the end because it kind of hints to me that he knows that the Book of Mormon will come under scrutiny. Mm. Um, and if there are mistakes, it was of man, because we're not perfect. But God's doctrines and clarifications, right, that a lot was, as we spoke in the very beginning of the podcast, uh, mixed up in the Bible. The Book of Mormon then clarifies those doctrines very beautifully. And so he points out there at the end, hey, like if there's a mistake, it's of a, a dead man, because I know that God cannot lie and trust in that and don't don't let that deter you. Now, I've never <laughs> seen any mistakes here in the Book of Mormon from from men. Um, if I've ever thought something was a mistake, very quickly I keep reading and then I see, oh, that wasn't a mistake. I just read that wrong, like myself, right? Like I was wrong. So um, very interesting. That's just been my perspective. Obviously, that's not doctrine. Um, you know, it's not church doctrine, just so you know. But um, what is doctrine is what is taught and true in the Book of Mormon, right? So just had to point that out there. And um, as we jump to the introduction to the Book of Mormon, this was actually written by Bruce R. McConkie. And he also wrote the little headings that you will find in the Book of Mormon. There's little chapter summaries before each chapter, and he wrote those as well. And so he wrote the, the intro. And those are periodically revised for clarity mm -hmm. and things like that. So yeah. the, throughout the Book of Mormon... And, and there have, have also been revisions of the Book of Mormon uh, with regard to grammar yeah. and things like that to make it um, more modern to read and, and understand for, for comprehension. So. And if can I share an example of that? Yeah. Just real quick. I feel like we should. Um, actually, in my scriptures I got when I was eight years old, um, in the very introduction, now it says the Book of Mormon is a volume of holy scriptural scripture comparable to the Bible. Now it says at the end there, it is a record of God's dealings with ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Now in my eight-year-old scriptures, I could pull them out right now. Um, um anyway, I won't, but I do know what it says. It, it says in the introduction that it contains the fullness of the gospel, comma, as does the Bible. 
in the most recent revised version that Kevin just gave an example of, um, as does the Bible is not there anymore. So it was taken out and it was revised. Does that take away from any truthfulness of the Book of Mormon? No, it does not. It just means that it was revised and and that part was actually added in by Bruce R. McConkie. It wasn't Mm -hmm. by Moroni or Mormon or any of the prophets, right? So I just thought that was interesting because I can see that comparison now. So there's little things like that. Well, and and the reason that that was removed is because... It, we the, know the Bible didn't. Right, the, the Bible <laughs> yeah. does not, in fact, contain the fullness of the everlasting gospel. It it has a lot of it. Right. Uh, it has a lot of of truth. It's It's still... Something that we as Latter-day Saints, we still read. We're, we're studying the Old Testament this year. And in as much as it is, um, in as much as it is translated correctly, it is a source of truth and it is a testament of Jesus Christ. So, and you know, that's, that's something that, we get a bad rap for. Um, it's often said that you know members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, they made something up. They uh, came up with their own scripture. The Book of Mormon truly is a a companion to the Holy Bible, and we're blessed to have even more scripture. We have the Doctrine and Covenants, which is modern day revelation written down. We have the Pearl of Great Price, which is more ancient scripture that was uncovered and came forth in its due time. And we have knowledge of other lost or preserved scriptures um, that will come forth in their own due time. And so the, the real moral or the theme of that is that the Lord is not done communicating and blessing his people with with his gospel and gospel truths. So that's that's the real mission of the Book of Mormon. And one of the favorite paragraphs, I think it's the fifth paragraph, it says, the crowning event recorded in the Book of Mormon is the personal ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ among the Nephites soon after his resurrection. It does these things is what it says. It puts forth the doctrines of the gospel, outlines the plan of salvation, and tells men, um, this is my ad, and women, what they must do to gain peace in this life and eternal salvation in the life to come. So this rich knowledge that we do not have in the Bible, we know um, we get this from the Book of Mormon. You can't find it anywhere else. And so I, I testify that that chapter, 3 Nephi 17, if you want to jump ahead, or Third Nephi 11, sorry, 17 is one of my favorite chapters. Third Nephi 11 is, is the account of Christ coming after his resurrection. And that chapter is beautiful and it's true. And I know that he appeared to the Nephites and he basically cleared up everything and set the church forth. And I know that to be true. Um, and you can't find it anywhere else besides the Book of Mormon. So after Mormon completed his writings... He delivered the account to his son, Moroni, who added a few words of his own and hit up the plates in the hill Cumorah. On September 21st, 
1823, the same Moroni, then a glorified resurrected being, appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith and instructed him relative to the ancient record and its destined translation into the English language. And in due course, the plates were delivered to Joseph Smith, who translated them by the gift and power of God. And of course, now it's it's translated into many, I mean, over over a hundred languages. Yeah. Um, and that is also a way that it fulfills prophecy. Mm-hmm. That and that's that's all the Book of Mormon does actually is is fulfill prophecy. And one of those prophecies is that the the gospel will be taken to all the ends of the earth to every nation kindred and tongue so man that and y'all we're sitting here as two people who have recorded over 130 episodes (laughs) of something called the book of mormon podcast so we're obviously biased but when i say the book of mormon is awesome it it's just incredible and and you know in our first episode we have the opportunity to share our testimonies and kind of how we came to know that the Book of Mormon is true. And I just, I did want to take a moment, not here, not at the end, but here right now to just reaffirm both of our testimonies that we know that it is the word of God, that Joseph Smith was truly a foreordained prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he restored the church. I, so you can go back and listen to the first episode, but I didn't actually read what I actually wrote the day that I developed and, and knew that the Book of Mormon was true. But it was December 12th, 2012. So, wow, almost uh, 10 years at the end, in December. But I just want to read what I wrote. I I just read DNC 11, and in verse 23, it says Hiram's name, but I put mine in. It states, Behold, thou art Shelby, my daughter. Seek the kingdom of God, and all the things shall be added accordingly to that which is just. I began to cry and fill the spirit of my Savior. The continuing verses for me, or sorry, the continuing verses for the rest of the section tell me what to do, and I will do it. I love my Savior and the Book of Mormon. It is true, and it is a rare possession. Like the first presidency said, we must read it again and again. I think I'm beginning to see why the Savior sent me here at this time. I am strong. I am able to preach his word because I know of its truth. And I testify of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And so there's something when you come to know the Book of Mormon and who it testifies of, which is Jesus Christ. When you come to gain that testimony, you begin to understand your purpose, why you're here, what you're doing, and how the Book of Mormon can quite literally be a play-by-play guide for the rest of your life, and how to navigate the complexities of your life and the world. And I know that's a pretty strong statement, but someone said it somewhere, but it really is a playbook and, and can give you insights on how to stay above the line and stay protected against the, the influence of the adversary. And so if I can, Kevin, at the end here, there's an invitation extended. 
at the very end of the introduction where it says, we invite all men everywhere to read the Book of Mormon and to ponder in their hearts the message it contains, and then to ask God the Eternal Father in the name of Christ if the book is true. Those who pursue this course in asking faith will gain a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's exactly what I did. That was exactly what I wrote after I prayed and knew the Spirit testified to me that it was true. So if you haven't done that, do it. Pray. Pray every day until you feel confirmation and pray in faith, right? So we, Kevin and I, like he said, we are biased to the Book of Mormon, but it is because we read it again and again, and we do feel of its truths that lead us individually and as a couple and as a family. So. Absolutely. So as we move on into the testimonies, uh, first of the three witnesses and then of the eight witnesses, there are some distinctions between these two groups of witnesses of yeah. the Book of Mormon. Um, and let me go and find it real quick. So first, there's the three witnesses account. Mm -hmm. And then the second account is the eight witnesses, which right. all together make... 12 well with justice smith mm -hmm. yeah so three eight and one <laughs> and there there are some other other people who uh, were witnesses uh, who who actually had the opportunity to see and even handle the plates and then there were also people who because of their their help um in the translation of the plates even though they weren't in the room but just assisting the prophet in the translation they saw miracles in their lives which led them to have a sure testimony of the truthfulness of the prophet's claims and his words and these when i say these 11 the three and the eight these are the at least the documented witnesses that we have right so, so in the three witnesses it says, we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven, and he brought and laid before our eyes that we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. And we know that it is by the grace of God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, that we beheld and bear record that these things are true and it is marvelous in our eyes um meanwhile the eight witnesses they actually um they i don't know if they 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 obviously have a little bit more um fine detail in their testimony in their account it says that um well, the, if I can add, the first oh. difference is that Joseph Smith showed them the plates. So oh, they correct. were seen of man, right. not of an angel. Um, and they didn't, oh, they saw that, yes, they did see the engravings too. Mm -hmm. So they did see that. And if I'm not mistaken, they, handled they got them. to touch them. Yeah. Whereas uh, Oliver, David, and Martin, the three witnesses, did not get to touch them. They just got to see them. Right. So that was pretty cool. A cool difference there. It says, for we have seen and hefted and know of a surety that the said Smith 
has got the plates of which we have spoken. <laughs> and we give our names unto the world to witness unto the world that we that which we have seen, and we lie not, God bearing witness of it. That's so powerful. Yeah. It's just powerful because, and you can look into the history of all these men, and some of them did um, leave the church and, you know, I guess you could say, quote unquote, not faithful. I think that might be an absurd statement, but the point is that they were no longer active members of the church. Yeah. Most of the reasons for them leaving was disagreements with, mm -hmm. with other members of the church, which is, is kind of the, it's, it's not really any different today. A lot of folks who, who end up leaving the church have less uh, concern or, or issue with church doctrine and more with maybe the actual leaders, their local leaders mm -hmm. or people that they know within the church. And so that doesn't make them less faithful. It's just, you know, their disagreements. But what I can say is that none of these men ever took back their witness to seeing the plates or handling the plates or anything like that. They all stood by it to the very end mm -hmm. because quite frankly, speaking for myself, once you receive that witness, there is just no denying that witness because it's a very powerful one. And when you have it over and over and over, like I, I truly believe with my whole heart that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith and Joseph Smith then got to show these plates and call these witnesses and they got to see them too. And I know that because the spirit. So it's just very, it's very powerful that even as some did not agree as the church went on, they still never took back their, their testimony of seeing and handling the plates. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool. And fun fact, the Whitmers were where they, they were part of the eight witnesses, Christian, Jacob, Peter, and John. Uh, that is where Joseph Smith and, um, uh, Oliver Cowdery had to come to finish the translation of the plates because they were not, they were under persecution where they were, they were being threatened in Joseph Smith's home. So they had, they came to the Whitmer family mm -hmm. and they welcomed them. And there's some cool stories about that. Um, and so anyway, that's why I think the Whitmers were chosen too, because they finished the translation of the Whitmer home. Right. So <coughs> any last thoughts, Kevin? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, again, as as the 4th of July was was coming up and we had the opportunity to to sit down and and maybe just reflect. I I've definitely had the opportunity to reflect on the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, the the doctrinal significance uh, the gospel uh, has in our lives because we we are free to explore the faith. Um, it's not something that I take for granted. And I felt like there was also an opportunity, a great opportunity to come and, and rehash the, um, the introduction, the title page, and even the, the, testimonies of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon. 
yeah, I think it, I think it was a great opportunity. And, you know, I don't want to be sitting here to the listener who may think, well, there are a lot of social issues that's, that still stand today, um, where people would argue that we aren't free. And, you know, there are a lot of things going on. And what I would say to that is to look back and see the hand of the Lord and see how a people that were suppressed uh, chose to come to a land of liberty to have the rights and the freedoms to worship. And that freedom has not ever been taken away. Um, when they came here, of course, there were problems. I mean, they're setting up a new nation, right? Like <laughs> there were things that mm-hmm. needed to be hashed out. And that's why our Constitution and our Bill of Rights was set up the way that it was so that we could um, protest politely, you know, no anarchy or anything like that, um, to have rights uh, and and freedoms given to everybody. And that will continually improve um, as we work together as a nation. Instead of attacking the past, we, we should look on the past and, and move forward as it benefits our future. And so there are still freedoms that we will work for and continue as the, the restoration unfolds. So yeah, I just had to say that too, because I feel like Sometimes we might we might have that perspective, and and it's important to remember that we're still in the restoration; it's still going, and and the Constitution was divinely inspired, and uh, we will one day reign under the greatest King of all kings, which is our Savior Jesus Christ, and it will be perfect. And so we can always hope for that, and work here now for the best of that. So I just had to add that, but. I had a lot of fun on this episode. I hope you guys had a fun listening um, and continue to listen. So we're excited. (laughs) Yep. And we mention it throughout all of our episodes, but we are accessible on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, And then I always add this. A lot of those listening know us personally. So you have our cell phone. So feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, be sure to visit ChristCenteredConversations.org. That's our website. And you can check out some of our, our content on there. Um, it really is the Book Mormon podcast primarily. Um, there's a chance to contact us there if you don't have another way to do it. Um, there's also links to one of our other podcasts that we do with a whole bunch of other saints. It's about general conference. Uh, when we go, we go through and study all the the talks from past general conference, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a great opportunity to gather mm-hmm. virtually with the with our fellow saints. And so, with all that being said, um, have fun studying the Book of Mormon. We invite you to make it a regular part of your life. And, and always study the Book of Mormon first. Don't don't use us as a the way to study. Uh, you study first and then come and listen. Always get in the, the book first. So. 100%. Anyway, thank you for listening, and we hope uh, that you enjoy the rest of our many episodes to come. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, You will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open 
and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.